Hi, this is Esti, host of the Friday A Public Affair. I hope you help us by contributing to WORT and you can also subscribe to the podcast. Bye. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from... No change without struggle. No one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle. No one in power... W-O-R-T, 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. I uh, want to start with um, just a quick update to a show that we did recently with Mario Koran about the month-long lockdown at Wapon and other correctional institutes, uh, which were associated with at least two prisoner deaths. This week, Governor Tony Evers announced a plan to ease movement restrictions. So um, that's somewhat good news. But we will be talking again today about Gaza. I want to give you just some of the news as of last night. You heard the BBC. Let me add a few more things. As of uh, last night, the Palestinian Health Ministry has reported that at least 11,470 Palestinians have been killed in the Gaza Strip since the Israel-Hamas war started. At least 4,710 of them are children and 3,160 are women, at least 29,800 injured, with about 70% of them children and women. The figure has not been updated for days due to the collapse of the health system and communications amid, amid Israel's attacks. In uh, Israel, the official death toll from Hamas's attacks stand at more than 1,200. Half of Gaza's homes have been damaged, with more than 40,000 completely destroyed. The UN Palestinian Refugee Agency, UNRWA, has reported that more than 100 UN employees have been killed in the conflict. This makes it the deadliest conflict for the UN. More than 40 journalists have been killed. The International Committee of the Red Cross has said that the healthcare system in Gaza has reached a point of no return. Israeli soldiers have taken over Al Shifa, Gaza's largest hospital, damaging its water supply. The hospital storage tanks were also hit in, bo- in bombardments, which also destroyed oxygen supplies. Ashraf al-Qudra, the spokesman for the health ministry in Gaza, says thousands of women, children, sick and wounded are in danger of death as Israel continues its raid on al-Shifa, changing the story from having to be there because there was a Hamas command and control center to now it's because the hostages were held there. Indonesian hospital in northern Gaza is completely out of service, according to its director, even as it grapples with more patients who have been unable to get medical care at Al-Shifa. Civilians in southern Gaza, many of them refugees a second time after being displaced from their homes, villages and towns in 1948, and then again just a few weeks ago from northern Gaza, told to leave again. There's nowhere to go.
Humanitarian aid has not resumed and Palestinians in Gaza are in danger of starvation according to the UN's World Food Program. In the West Bank, Israeli military launched a raid on Jenin in the occupied West Bank. Two Palestinians are wounded, three were dead, and settlers and soldiers continue attacking Palestinians and engaging in land grabs. In Israel, a Palestinian Knesset member was ousted for two months for tweeting her support for a ceasefire. Israeli Palestinians have been attacked, fired from their jobs, and threatened. Highway signs call for elimination of all Palestinians and to nuke Gaza. In an interview to Al Jazeera, John Quigley, an international law professor at Ohio State University, said that genocide is already happening against Palestinians living in Gaza. Well, today with us are three guests. They are all uh, Palestinian women, and we are here to hear their stories and uh, how they feel, what they think nowadays, and um, what they think about the future. Our guests are Jamal. Her uh, f- family is originally from Haifa. Dina, who is from Jenin. And Sabrine Amro, whose family is from Dura, which is a province in southern Hebron. And I want to thank all three of you for um, joining us today. And um, let's start by asking you for um, your stories, the stories of your families. Uh, Jamal, would you like to start? Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you so much uh, to having us uh, with you today. Uh, I want to start my story with just like, you know, letting you know where I'm from. Uh, my roots go back to Haifa. My ancestors were excluded from their land in 1948 when Zionist Gagan occupied Palestine. My ancestors were forced to leave their land through a systematic process of displacement and genocide. They were displaced and transferred to refugee camps established by the Iraqi government in Iraq. And uh, the number of the Palestinian refugee in Iraq was like uh, in, in 1948 was estimated at 7,000 refugee. And throughout these years and to this day, the Palestinian has not enjoyed like the Iraqi citizenship. They don't have rights to be like a citizen there um, unless they get like the rights to have like education in university and government school. But they were denied ac- uh, access, um, access to a large number of uh, jobs. They were subjected to racial discrimination in the period following of the American war in Iraq uh, as the number of Palestinians in Iraq in 2003 was estimated at 60,000 refugees. And this what like make us wake up this day to see the number not exceed 3,000 refugees. Mm-hmm. So like, this number is decreased after the Palestinians in Iraq were exposed to massacres and genocide amounting to 600 murders in less than one year at the hands of the militias, uh, which forced more than 40,000 to sleep in desert in the camps uh, in uh, that they established uh, on the Iraqi-Syrian and Iraqi-Jordan borders, asking the international 
community to protect them, which left them actually in the desert for many years before they starting to investigate their case and granted them refugee status. Some, including myself, actually choose to go seek asylum in other countries. So, like, for me, I just like, you know, left Iraq uh, after my husband and with my husband and my children after my husband was threatened uh, with death by the militias because he is Palestinian. My husband worked a long time to hide his first, like a Palestinian identity. But as soon as his identity was determined, he was uh, threatened. Therefore, like within one week, we lifted our work, our families, everything we own. And actually we start search for like safety. We choose Indonesia uh, to be this, to be just like, you know, our destination. The following, I lived in uh, refugee camps for seven years. We share a kitchen and the same place with like more than 300 people. The condition of uh, detention is in some of these camps are inhuman. The water is unfit for human use. And it just like, you know, overcrowding a large numbers of like the people in the same place. This just like, you know, make them have like more diseases, like sick all the times. The children is not allowed to join a school while I am there. Uh, the people who are like 18 and plus, they are not uh, allowed to work or study. Uh, but like, actually, this is like the government laws. But like for the people, uh, like the Indonesian people, they are so welcoming for the refugees, especially the Palestinian refugee. And they felt the extended of our uh, severing. So... I lived in Indonesia for seven years, searching for safety, stability, and the right for exist. And waiting for completion, like the processing, my case, and my family to come here to America. Like seven years, I just like, you know, see my kids and watch them growing up in front of my eyes, along with another kids without a clear goal, other than searching for safety, freedom, and justice, which way which we just like, you know, missed because we are a Palestinian. I devoted the seven years of my life to educate my children and other children in the camps. Like I said before, they are not allowed to join the school. And I just like volunteered to work with an organization, the IOM, for the immigration to help improve like our condition inside these camps. I arrived to United States of America in 2021 in search for stability and for my children to feel a sense of belong that never had in 34 years of my life. The goal was to build a stable life here. But as a Palestinian route, show us the reality of this life every time when I hear my son doesn't feel just like, you know, safe because he is a Palestinian inside the school. So for that, I wanted to just like, you know, share all this story with all the people because we have like a responsibility to educate the community that the Palestinians are not like terrorists. We are human. Like you, we feel, we feel pain. We breathe, we have dreams. And we aspire to have a future. Therefore, I hope that like everyone 
will listen to our voice and educate themselves and learn about their roots. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jamal. Uh, Dina, tell us the story of yourself and your family. Hello, this is Dina. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I live all my life at Palestine. I'm from Janine. And unfortunately, I've been witnessing like I witnessed the Antifada, the first one and the second one and the whole conflict that's been happening there. But what's happened right now, it's like it's not a conflict. And let's just call it by name. It's like a genocide. Um, and unfortunately, the whole world is watching what's happening there in my country and no one said anything. Um, in Palestine, um, there's, um, it's not just Muslims, as you know, there's Palestinian Jews and there's Palestinian Christians and there's Palestinians Muslim. And every single one of us is targeted by the Zionists. It just because you are Palestinian, they didn't care. They don't care if you are a Jew, if you are a Christian, if you are a Muslim, just because you are Palestinian, you're going to be target for them. Okay, they bombed hospitals, they bombed the like um, churches, um, mosques, and they keep attacking even the Jews. Uh, There's a Palestinian Jews in Naples and in Jerusalem, as you know. they got the same treatment as every single one of the Palestinians. Uh, they attack them all the time. And yeah, just because you are Palestinian, you're going to be their uh, target. So this is my, <laughs> this is my story. Um, yeah. So oh. I spent my whole life over there. Yeah. When did you arrive here? Uh, it's going to be almost two years. Uh, yeah. I'm going to finish almost two years Mm -hmm. of being here in the United States. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Sabrine. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having us, Esty. Um, It's really our honor to be able to speak to the audience uh, and your listeners today. Um, My name is Sabrine. Uh, I am a first-generation Palestinian-American. So my parents immigrated here from Palestine. Uh, My dad immigrated in the very early 90s, and my mom immigrated soon after him. Uh, I was born and raised here, so um, I haven't had the privilege of being, you know, raised in Palestine. Um, My parents share with us their experiences growing up and they've taught us, you know, obviously our culture and showed us what it means to be a Palestinian and, you know, growing up in America and, you know, struggling with those two things, you know, my Palestinian identity and then at the same time being raised in American society has been, you know, definitely a struggle growing up. But, um, you know, as we get older, we, we find that balance of I am Palestinian and I am American and at the same time those things don't conflict with each other they can be um, you know I I can be both of those things in tandem Um, but yeah I have um, uh, I am the oldest of five kids so um, you know my parents came here um, after they got married and they had all of us here and 
Yeah, we, we, they came from uh, Dura, which is a province in southern uh, Hebron. And um, I've only gotten to visit a few times. The last time I visited, I was eight years old. So it's been a good 20 years since I was able to step on Palestinian land. Mm-hmm. So um, the story of your family, are they from the Masaferiata area or where are they from? Exactly. From for my family? Yeah. Yeah, so there Dura is a little village that is right off of Hebron. It is um it's in the southern part of the West Bank. So um yeah, it it, it used to be a very small village, um, but you know, as time it was able to expand and became um essentially, you know, a, a city as big as Hebron. Okay. So um Jamal, as you are watching TV, listening to the radio, reading newspapers nowadays, um, what are what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? What do you feel should be shared with our audience, with Americans, um, about what's going on there right now? Actually, like what happens now. It's not something like different than what happens before. So I can share like the same story that I heard from my grandmom when I was a kid, when my mom also like heard the same story from her grandmom when she was a kid. It's the same things. It's genocide over like 75 years. But what's happening now, like before in 1948, like there is no media. There is no social media to just like, you know, documented just like every single like, like event of what's happened. But now we have like all the people just like, you know, watching what happens. So I don't I don't know, like how we can just like, you know, be normal and just like, you know, continue our life like in a normal way while we just like, you know, see like there is like a kids, they are killed just because they are Palestinian. And like the story, it's different than what the Israeli army just like, you know, tried to just like send it to us here in US. So they don't kill anyone who is just like, you know, Hamas. They killed the kids, they killed a woman. They targeting the hospital, they targeting a church, they targeting a mosque. So how we can just like, you know, believe their story when it was like again and again, it's happened over the 75 years. When it just like, you know, my, 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 my grandma told me that like, like in, in 1948, they just like, you know, survived from a genocide in our village. So it's the, like, the same things. In 1948, they targeting the people who are just like, you know, seeking for safe in another village. They, they targeting them while they are like walking in the streets. They, they targeting the kids. They killed the kids because they know that these kids are the future of Palestine. They even just like, you know, killed the pregnant women while they are alive. They just like, you know, kill them or just like, you know, bring their babies outside of their bodies. This is what happens in 1948. And this is what it's happening again now in front of our eyes all. So if we just like, you know, 
like, I, I, I know that they, they just like, you know, they, they wanted us to keep silent by doing that, actually. But they don't know that the Palestinian people, they will be like more brave and they will share and they will just like, you know, fight to get their rights. So I don't know what's their aim now. I don't know what they wanted from the people in Gaza. Did they want to kill them all? Yes, they wanted to do that. This is what we see every day. Dina, you are from Janine, and as I uh, read there at the beginning, um, there has been, there is still going on an attack by the Israeli military on uh, Janine, definitely not for the first time. We uh, covered um, other attacks on Jenin before and on the West Bank. Uh, what are you hearing from your people back there about uh, Jenin and about the West Bank generally? Yeah, they've been attacking like each night. They enter Jenin and most of the West Bank cities. Uh, they're terrifying the um, civilians. Um, they just want to just spread the horror, you know? It's like uh marking their own territory like the animals um uh, i mean the zionists okay and uh, i know that like benjamin netanyahu is the only thing that just get him in that war because uh he knew if he stopped the war his political future gonna end so that's why he keep just doing it and he gonna i think he gonna just Go for it until he just be stable at his future political ads, and he gonna kill as many Palestinians as he as uh, he could. It's like he gonna do the genocide over and over and over against the whole uh, world. And I don't know who gonna stop him. In Janine, it's like misery over there. Um, they could just shoot you just being in the street at night, even if you are in a party or in anything. Uh, just being a Palestinian in the streets at night, you're gonna be, you're gonna just risk you to be killed. Yeah, this is the situa- situation over there, and it's not safe like to go from city to city um, at night, even at daylight. Actually, uh, they're gonna just shoot you out of nowhere just because they can and uh, they provide the settlers uh, with uh, automatic weapons and they uh, start to attack like uh, the villages and any place they can and of course the military even if they got their own weapons they protect them yeah it's like um i don't know i can't nothing can describe it actually it's like Yeah. Dina, do you, I'm assuming you've had an experience or two or more uh, while you were there. Can you just describe what happens in, you know, in your personal experience? What, what, what happened? What was it like? Nowadays or in the old days? Uh, when you were in Janine. It's like... Uh, They want to protect themselves just by uh, giving or just putting the fear inside the Palestinians' hearts, uh, which is, I think in, this is in their minds, not in ours, you know. 
because if they let's say you're gonna lose if you less uh, lost someone like part of your family of course you're gonna be furious uh, like you're gonna feel angry at all the situation and they can just understand what's going on and the mentality of the Palestinians they think if they keep pushing them they're gonna just feel afraid oh we don't do we, we were not gonna do that again that's why they keep arresting the old man the old women's even like if there's a Palestinian did something they're gonna go attack his home take his mom his dad his brothers and sisters and put them in prison I don't know how they're thinking actually but they thought that that gonna just kill the spirits of the Palestinians which is like they don't understand the Palestinians spirit that much even if they just being with us for the like more than 70 years um until now they didn't get they didn't get it yeah um just before we go to sabrina i want to remind you who we're talking with we are with jamal dina and sabrina they are all palestinian women local palestinian women we are listening to their stories today and you're welcome to join the conversation if you have relevant questions or comments the number here is different today it's 608-467-5627 i'll say it again 467-5627 and you can join us also on social media at World talk on twitter or a public affair on um facebook so sabrina your um feelings and thoughts as um you are watching what's going on currently in the Middle East and um, also have you had any experiences while you were visiting there and or have you heard stories from your parents? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, like I said earlier, the last time I was in Palestine, I was eight years old um, and that was actually one of the first Um, experiences that I've had or direct experience that I've had with the Israeli occupation. Um, There was a night where we had all been staying at my maternal grandmother's house and um, being raised in America is of course a privilege compared to being raised in Palestine. Um, Here I don't have to worry about, you know, um, worry about getting shot leaving my house or worry about having to pass through endless checkpoints to be able to visit my friend's house or even to just visit another part of town. Um, this was my first experience as an, you know, being a Palestinian American. It was my first experience with the occupation in that I was sitting at my grandmother's house. I was eight years old and we heard this big rumbling sound and we didn't understand my siblings and I, we didn't understand what was going on. At first we had thought it was thunder or that there was a rainstorm coming. And even that by itself was a little worrisome because um, at that point the electricity could be turned on and off by the occupation um, at at will. So we were worried that we were going to lose electricity uh, and it was just going to make things a little bit more difficult. my uncle had came into the house and he was telling us to hide we need to you know find a safe spot away from the windows and just hide and we were all very confused 
and I had peeked out of the window just to see uh, Israeli soldiers, Israeli tanks rolling right outside the front door of my grandmother's house. Um, as an eight-year-old, I did not understand what was happening. I didn't understand why this was happening. Um, there was nobody in the streets. It wasn't very late. It was around 8 p.m. There was nobody in the streets, and usually it's pretty busy and bustling. But when everybody heard that sound of the tank ro rolling through, we just um, everybody sought shelter. Um, we don't know why at that point they decided to uh, patrol in that area. A lot of times my parents explained to me that these types of things will happen as um, an intimidation, like an act of intimidation um, and a scare tactic. So that was the last direct experience that I had with the occupation. Um, but as the children of as the child of two people who escaped from the occupation who are now here, it I feel the after effects. So I know, despite not having experienced it directly, I know that whenever, if I ever get the chance to go back to Palestine, I will not, I shouldn't, um, I, I can't say that I'm a Palestinian citizen. I, even though I get that through my mother, like I get the, um, like an identity card, a Palestinian identity card, I get that through my mother. I cannot travel to Palestine directly. I have to go through Jordan, despite the fact that I'm an American citizen, because I have that Palestinian identity. Um, this, this changed recently, I think, with a new um, agreement between America and Israel, uh, where Palestinian Americans can travel to Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv. Uh, I think this decision was made in September as long as Israeli citizens are able to travel to the United States without a visa as well. So those are things that have changed. But growing up, I was not able to. I would have to pass through Jordan through the checkpoints and be able to uh, pass the Jordanian checkpoint and then the Israeli checkpoint before I can even think of, you know, traveling to um, uh, Hebron and Dura where my family would stay. Um, I think for me right now, with everything going on in, in Gaza, uh, the effect is more on how I can educate my son and how I can teach my son how who he is, like what his Palestinian identity is. He's six years old and being able to show him that, okay, you are Palestinian. Your fellow Palestinians who are living in Palestine are being affected in this way and this is how it affects you. Um, it's helped me... It's helped me have the courage to see the things that they are going through. It's helped me have the courage to overcome the fear of retaliation here in America, of saying I'm Palestinian and I'm against the Israeli occupation of my people, um, and to teach that to my son as well, for him to be proud of being Palestinian. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of direct experience with the occupation, but I definitely feel the after effects from, you know, my parents and from seeing everything that's happening on social media. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, children. I believe all three of you are uh, mothers. And um, Jamal, you have already said that uh, your children through the years have been facing a lot of discrimination. Um in Palestine, in Iraq, and now. So if you want to add anything to that, and also talk about how 
How do you talk to them right now about what's going on? How, how do you both protect them and um, expose them to the horrors of, um, what did they say earlier, at least 4,710 children dead, 3,160 women dead, um, Uh, yeah t- talk about um yeah having children and and being a Palestinian yeah it's actually hard but it's easy at the same time uh but to just like you know to correct your information we are not being in Palestine before we born and my kids born outside of Palestine as my mother and my father born outside uh, from Palestine and we are not allowed to enter Palestine and Because the Israeli government will not allow to us to enter so we are we have just like you know a travel document uh, we live with like a refugee identity uh, in Iraq uh, for this reason I just like you know travel and like seeking for like uh, like as like a really like a place that my kids feel like safe and belong and they can just like you know make something different so as a mother I My kids just like you know faced us like uh, another like kids in a school in the public school so they let the kids watching the news uh, the CNN news the Fox news uh, in school uh, like and we all know how they switch the like the things in, in those like you know uh, media so like from the first day when just like you know my son come back to from school and he's crying he's so anger and he can't say even why to me until like the enough time he just like share with me that he can't say that he's a Palestinian and when I just like you know ask him why he said that today when while we are just like you know watch the news in the social study like the kids start saying that all the Palestinian are tourists So how can I just like you know feel safe inside the school while the student just like feel that I am a tourist because I am Palestinian so I can't mom say that to to my even my friends just like imagine how it's hard as a mom to hear that from your kids just imagine that like the kids they don't feel safe to hear like even Palestinians name. Just like imagine my, my feeling at that time. I said to him, okay, we can figure out that. But until today, he refused to say that he's a Palestinian inside the school. Until today. Mm-hmm. So why we allowed, actually, like we have like here, like, like the big picture. It's like really like, we have like a real big problem. We have a real big issues here. When the kids inside the school, we are here in U.S., they... they They don't want it to share their identity. They don't want it to, sh- to show the people where they are coming from because they feel unsafe. Is, it, is this like the normal life here? I'm new here. I'm just like, you know, I arrived in 2021. But when I arrive here, I have like this picture in my mind that we are coming to this country where we can just like, you know, have a freedom of speech, when we can just like, you know, share our identity, identify, identity with a proud because we, we lost that over all of my life. I can't walk outside of the camp that I live in and say that I am Palestinian to, to the Iraqi people. Because like they treat us in a different way. They kill us because like we are a Palestinian. 
we kill like inside the problem is that the inside like uh, i believe that like the process of restrict the palestinian inside and outside palestine by displacing them and killing them and accusing them of terrorism is only part of attempted to silence the palestinian voice from demanding the land this is what i just like you know feel like mm-hmm. they believe that like these things maybe will discourage the palestinian from continuing but i say and i will keep saying to everyone that this thing give us more incentive and motivation to believe more in our depth of our case and like that the palestinian issue is issue for truth and justice and freedom and every person who believes in these concepts should have these demands even if he is not palestinian it's a human being we demand justice at like a time when the demand for for truth and justice has become a humanitarian crime more than killing innocent people and i don't know how we can just like you know fix that they fear the voice of a truth so they work to silence it in every way and this is what like happened in our like world everywhere but i don't think that the palestinian people will back down no because like we have previously seen our brother in africa and we have seen the native american here and we we, we just like you know know that no one looking for them at the time so we are their present voice so if you denounce what happens to them you must uh denounce what it's happening now to palestinian mm-hmm. dina how about you hi yeah my kids actually experienced almost everything um yeah um so they experienced the attacks on the cities um the checkpoints thank you sabrina it's a big part of my life um yeah the threats the fear uh they actually experienced everything uh, but they are still proud of being and saying that we are palestinians Actually, um, one time um, on Zatara checkpoint, uh, they asked my husband to get out of, of the car. And one of the soldiers just told him that to get to take his pants off. And when he refused, she just triggered the gun. Okay, and there's another soldier asked her to stop. And one of the Israeli intelligence, like he's a commander or something, when they called him over the phone, he was speaking with my husband. I told him that you are a good civilian. Why you did that? He, he told him, like, I didn't do anything. She asked me to take off my pants and I just refused. And he kept speaking with my husband at the end of the call. He just uh, asked him about my son. He asked him how he's doing. It's like a threat, you know? He's like threatening him that we know all your kids. So yeah, we are watching something like that. It's like, yeah, they try to put the fear inside uh, your heart uh, to keep you just thinking about your kids, what's gonna happen at the, to them, what's gonna happen to your house, what's gonna happen to your family. Um, yeah, they just spread fear. And this is actually their, uh, policy uh, over there 
Yeah, and this is our experience. There's a lot of checkpoints, a lot of attacks, and of course, a lot of fear just being think like you're going to just go to sleep. You don't know if you're going to just uh, lose someone or you're going to lose your home or you're going to be kicked out of your home out of nothing just because one of the settlers want to decide to live there. Um, yeah, it's almost uh, and every experience, the experience of uh, every Palestinians out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sabrine, I, I want to ask you another question. Um, like you said, you're first generation. You, you were born and, and grew up here. Um, what are your thoughts about the role of the United States in um, the current situation and, and the unwavering support of Biden to what has been discussed here and, and I believe truthfully so as a genocide of, of your people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think this has been the most difficult part um, is coming to terms with the fact that I live in a country that wants to exterminate my people. Um, I think that it is, it's been, it's actually made me more um, active in terms of speaking out and making sure that people are aware. And I think that this is the, how should I say? So this is the first, I think, social media documented event in Palestine that has ever happened. The amount of videos, the amount of evidence, the amount of documentation that is coming straight from Palestine, straight from Gaza, and into our phones has changed the entire game. This is the first time that people are actually becoming aware of the fact that there is a genocide happening and that it is happening at the hands of America directly. Uh, and I think that that's helped a lot of people come to terms with the fact that when we voted for Joe Biden, a lot of us voted for Joe Biden because of our retaliation against Donald Trump. We did not want anybody Republican, anybody like Trump. We were going Democratic all the way. And I think that that's a very big reason as to why he was elected in the first place. But people are now becoming more aware of the things that he has said in his past, the outright claims that he is a Zionist, the outright... Um, you know, to it's it's become clear that there is no um, they're trying to hide it. The American government is trying to hide their intentions, and they're not doing a very good job of it. Uh, people know that you know there 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 is some benefit to uh, helping Israel, regardless of what they do in turn to the Palestinian people. So it, it's. You know, I, I'm I'm teaching myself and I'm teaching my kid, my my son, and I'm teaching you know my friends, trying to teach them that this is our time where we have to speak out. This is the time where every single person, you know, every single person who has social media, who has a smartphone, who has any access to any type of media at all, is going to be listening. And we have to, you know, even if you're posting things on Instagram and your stories are only getting 20 views. It doesn't matter because people are listening. As long as you reach some people in America, we have the power to make the change here. We are the people who have the power. We are the ones who select or vote for who we put in, into office. And this is, I, you know, I grew up here. So 
everything that happened with, you know, every single previous attack on Palestine that has been documented. Um, I think people kind of were like, okay, this is the normal. People aren't going to listen. We don't have the power to change things. Um, this is the first time that I feel we have the power. People are watching, people are listening, and people are seeing and realizing that what we are supporting, where our tax dollars are going, is wrong. We are supporting a genocide with our tax dollars at this rate. And it's American weapons, American bombs, American, you know, um, it's and everything is funded by America, you know, and, and we can see where how our tax dollars are going directly to Israel. And um, I think that people now are seeing that they have the power to stop it. So I must say, Sabrina, that you are more uh, optimistic than me. Uh, I'm seeing uh, Biden trying to get another $14 billion to Israel, and that's all in weapons. And I'm I'm afraid that um, when election time comes next year, I don't think that people who voted Democrat will vote for Trump, but I think a lot of people will stay home and not vote. And then, you know, on top of everything else, we might get Trump as a result of this situation. Anything you want to say to that? I I see I see your point because I do think that um, we need to make sure that people understand that inaction, so choosing not to vote, is uh, and even you know th- this goes along with the idea that choosing to stay neutral in this situation is still taking action. Choosing to stay neutral is you ignoring the fact that there's a genocide happening. You choosing to not vote is what's going to stop or it's, it's not going to promote any type of change that we are trying to see in this country. So I think that, yes, while there are still motions being made to, um, you know, to that are assisting in the genocide of the Palestinians, I think it's also important to note that this is something that's been happening for years. Change isn't going to come quickly. It's a slow moving process. And I think that the more that people continue to speak up and the more that people continue to post and not just forget about what is happening in Palestine, the more power we have to change things in the future. I think this comes from me. I'm I'm a firm believer in the fact that Palestinian people have some of the most resolve that I have ever seen. you know, even if you see some of these videos that are being posted online of people digging out bodies from the rubble, yes, there's obvious, you know, trauma and sadness, but at the same time, and I'm speaking, I'm a Muslim, so I'm speaking from like a Muslim perspective, that these Palestinians are, you know, they are staying strong and they are praising God that, you know, they're even able to pull their bodies out from the rubble. And I think that that type of resolve and that type of um, you know, strength in our identities is passed on to, you know, even us who are Palestinian American, um, born and raised here who may not have even, you know, been to Palestine, that we still get some of that effect from our parents and our grandparents and all of our Palestinian relatives. Yeah, well, we have a very short time left, just about four minutes. And uh, we have a question here from a caller, what what you all think about Hamas leadership. I also uh, want to ask what I think is a very important question, which is what happens when this is over? What, what do you think 
Where, where do you see hope? So let me um, give each of you two minutes. I know it's impossible to answer it really, but let's try. Uh, Jamal, your two minutes. So you ask me about the future of Palestine or about the future, the future. Yeah. What how, how do you see the future? And if you want to tell our listener also, what do you think about the Hamas leadership? Um, you can answer any of these. But by now we have only a minute and a half. I can't I can't I can't answer the question about the Hamas leadership because we are not there. Just like, you know, I don't born there. So I don't I don't just like, you know, have the experience to be like inside Gaza because like outside Gaza there is no Hamas and still they're killing the people so like this is like something like I don't know I can't believe that they're killing the people because of Hamas and like Hamas leader I don't know even who they I just like you know know how many kids they kill every day how many innocent people they killed every day and I don't know who is even Hamas leader so This is the first question. And the second question, I see that one day we will wake up and in the morning. And this is what I just like, you know, have the hope that I see like my people, they have like their freedom. Like the people, the black African people, American here, one day they just like, you know, get their freedom. And the, like uh, the Algerian people after uh, 130 years of occupation, they get their freedom. So it will come this year. after 10 years, after 100 years, until, uh, because they can't do anything, you know? They yeah. can't do anything in, in front of that because, like, we have a Palestinians. Like, still we have a Palestinians. There, there is, like, a millions of Palestinians. Until they kill, like, the last one, the last Palestinian in all this earth, at that time they can't say that they win the war. They yeah. can't say that, okay, now we have like the big Israel and this land all for us. But um, I don't think that they can do that for all yeah. the people. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dina. Yes. Um, can you repeat the question? <laughs> um, if you want to talk about the Hamas leadership, what, what do you think about them and what What are your hopes or fears or what, what are your thoughts about once the attack is over? I, I'm going to start with I hope that the attack is over and we all just keep calling for ceasefire. And on the other hand, uh, it's, not, it's not just about Hamas. Okay, we, you're going to deal with Hamas, let's say, in Gaza, but in uh, West Bank, there's no Hamas. And yet, they right. are killing the Palestinians there. They are terrifying them. They like uh, keep them like taking their old mothers. Today, they just take an 80 years old mom because of her son just like throw a rock <laughs> over one of the military of the IDF, you know? It's like eight years old. You can just imagine, she can't pull her back up and they yet, they drag her and took her to the prison. It's not about Hamas, it's about they are targeting everything as Palestinians. Palestinians, Jews, if you don't want to listen to us, you can just ask the Palestinian Jews, uh, the Palestinians, the Christians. Every single thing that's called to be Palestinian is a target over there, okay? It's not about Hamas, it's not about anything. And um, 
the one who asked the question, actually, I want to ask him about what do you think about the Israeli uh, government, the one who ruled the uh, ruled Israel now, right now. It's like uh, they are Nazis, and they are actually even the the Israeli. Okay, let's just put the Palestinians aside. Even the Israeli civilian and uh, the Israeli people are targeted by this government. They are. Uh, Zionists, they are uh, Nazis. Uh, even yeah. if you have a kidnapped uh, son or daughter or anyone in Gaza right now, you're going to be kicked out just because you are calling for your son or your daughter. Okay? This is yeah. the Israeli government, yeah. and that's the situation over there. It's not about Hamas, it's about the terror, and it's about the okay. one who's attacking. Dina, right I want to yeah. give Sabrine time to, um, to answer also. Sabrine, go ahead. Yeah, so I think that this is a very, um, uh, may, I, I, to give the caller credit, uh, I, I do think that this is a very uh, thinly veiled do you condemn Hamas uh, question. And I think that people tend to forget that this is bigger than just Hamas, right? So as Dina said, there is no Hamas in the West Bank, and yet we are still seeing some of the same things happening on the West Bank. Um, I think that um, if the Israeli occupation thinks that having killed 16 uh, Hamas operatives in ter- among the, I think it's 12,000 Palestinians who, uh, who have died in their attacks, that they need to um, they they need to rethink how they're going about this because right now uh, you are not being as effective as you think you are if you're trying to wipe out Hamas only you're definitely not doing what you think you're doing because you've yeah. just killed twelve thousand Palestinians instead so. Um, yeah, that's yeah, uh, I and think we that that's, we need to yeah. end. Uh, I'm sorry, yes. Sabrine Amro, Dina, and Jamal. Thank you to the three of you for joining us today and for this discussion. Um, we all are hoping for an end to this and and for a peaceful coexistence. Um, I mean, I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking for me. Um, thank you to Jade and to Samer. I'm Esti Dinor. We'll be talking again next week. Bye bye.